Hello and welcome to the Daily Zen Podcast. My name is Charlie Ambler, creator of Daily Zen. I'm back after a two-week hiatus due to both travel and moving offices, so I apologize for the delay. I do this as my side hustle, so to speak, and as a result, sometimes it's relegated to the sidelines as I cultivate other parts of my life, which I think ironically is in line with the Zen philosophy that I try to espouse on this podcast. Today I want to discuss the purpose of Zen and Zen in action in reference to a couple of quotes from D.T. Suzuki, who was one of the Japanese masters who introduced Zen to a popular audience in the West in the early 20th century. I'll just start by reading the quotes. Uh, The first one is from his book, The Training of the Zen Buddhist Monk. The second one is from An Introduction to Zen Buddhism. They're both fantastic books. Suzuki's style is a little bit more academic than some of the other masters, but for that reason, I think it resonates more with a certain type of Western audience. And when he came to the U.S., his message resonated specifically with artists and intellectuals who were able to take his teachings and popularize them in the way that artists and public intellectuals are able to do, specifically in the West. So without further ado, I'll read these two quotes and then we'll discuss them for a bit. Modern life seems to recede further and further away from nature, and closely connected with this fact, we seem to be losing the feeling of reverence towards nature. It's probably inevitable when science and machinery, capitalism and materialism go hand in hand so far in a most remarkably successful manner. Mysticism, which is the life of religion in whatever sense we understand it, has come to be relegated altogether in the background. Without a certain amount of mysticism, there is no appreciation for the feeling of reverence, and, along with it, for the spiritual significance of humility. Science and scientific technique have done a great deal for humanity, but as far as our spiritual welfare is concerned, we have not made any advances over that attained by our forefathers. In fact, we are suffering at present the worst kind of unrest all over the world. That's the first one. The second one is this. The idea of Zen is to catch life as it flows. There's nothing extraordinary or mysterious about Zen. I raise my hand. I take a book from the other side of the desk. I hear the boys playing ball outside my window. I see the clouds blown away beyond the neighboring wood. In all these, I am practicing Zen. I am living Zen. No wordy discussion is necessary, nor any explanation. I do not know why, and there is no need of explaining, but when the sun rises, the whole world dances with joy, and everybody's heart is filled with bliss. If Zen is at all conceivable, it must be taken hold of here. So I think this provides an interesting way to approach the purpose of Zen in our daily lives and the idea of Zen in action, which is the topic that spawned this idea for this discussion, which was suggested by someone on Twitter. I think it's easy to read a lot about anything and to experience a lot about Zen specifically through texts, through reading about it online, through listening to things like this and reading things like the stuff I write. But the practice is very simple and it's just that practice of meditation and it's that practice of catching life as it flows, as Suzuki says. And it doesn't require a lot of internal deliberation. It doesn't require a lot of discussion. It doesn't require that much conceptualization. And the place for it in our lives 
is that place where something is missing because we are modern people. We exist in the modern world. And with that massive paradigm shift that we experienced during the 20th century towards modernity, we experienced a lot of wonderful benefits. We don't have to worry about a lot of the things that we used to have to worry about from disease to really brutal types of, of everyday warfare to oppressive dictatorships and fiefdoms and slavery, things like that. In the modern world, we don't have to worry about a lot of those things on a daily basis anymore. Uh, acquiring food, having safe shelter, uh, problems that existed before any sort of travel or electricity or social communication were able to exist, all those things, you know, you get it. Modernity gave us a lot of gifts, but with it came a shift of values that put that religious reverence and that spiritual cultivation that Suzuki talks about on the back burner. And when we think about religion in the West, we usually just think about Judeo-Christian religion or Islam. Um, but the religious impulse in a human being is deeper than just an ide a, a single ide ideological system. People's gravitation towards Christianity or Judaism or Islam or whatever it is comes from this need within the human being to transcend the purely physical world, the purely emotional world, and the purely conceptual world, and experience things in a, in a higher way, in a more self-conscious way. And I like to think that because the thing that differentiates human beings from animals or from creatures who haven't developed advanced civilizations or any of the things that make humanity humanity, the, the thing that differs is that self-consciousness, is that self-awareness, that meta-consciousness, that metaphysical ability to conceptualize and to think about things outside of their, their immediate material presence. And the place for spirituality comes from that need. It comes from that ability that we have. And it's a special ability. And I think if we don't cultivate it, we neglect a certain part of our humanity. We avoid a certain part of what it means to be human. And we'll find that if we don't, if we go through parts of our lives when we don't cultivate this spiritual impulse, this reverence that Suzuki talks about, we experience a sense of lack. We experience a void. And instead of confronting that void and learning from it and trying to understand ourselves in a spiritual context and in a transcendental context, we try to fill the void with material things, with, you know, uh, frivolities, with meaningless relationships, with careers, all the stuff that people chase after very fervently in the modern world, uh, we try to fill that spiritual void with. And collectively, that spiritual void exists very strongly. And so that's why I think we see the world's values moving more and more towards that productive consciousness, that acquis acquisitional consciousness, the desire to fill our lives with things, with achievements, with people, um, with distractions, with entertainment. And that's a, a temporary solution to that spiritual problem. But if we don't cultivate that age-old spiritual impulse that human beings have, that we sort of can see objectively throughout the ages is necessary for a balanced and happy life, we miss out and we can't necessarily enjoy a lot of the things that we acquire. 
So for commonplace Zen, for the sort of Zen that I advocate for, I think it's important to realize that there's not the spirit, the purely spiritual and the purely material. There's not the world of modernity and capitalism and machinery and computers and the world of the monastic world of lofty spiritual goals and sitting alone reading philosophy and meditating by yourself and isolating yourself from society. In Zen, there's this, or in Buddhism in general, there's this idea of the middle way, which is that we transcend all extremes by finding this balance in between them. And so in our practice, I think we can find that balance by understanding that we don't have to give anything up other than this unhealthy reliance on other things outside of our uh, outside of ourselves or our spiritual consciousness to make us happy so you can have a career you can have a a family you can have a life a, a bountiful life a wonderful life full of both suffering and happiness and also cultivate this this spiritual consciousness and and transcend your baser instincts whether it's just for a little bit of time each day or a little bit of time each week or whatever and when we balance the enjoyment of things in the material world, the enjoyment of our achievements, the enjoyment of our attachments with this meta-consciousness of spirituality where we, we realize that the happiness and the appreciation of those things comes from within ourselves and we cultivate that and we have that power over ourselves to cause ourselves suffering, to cause ourselves happiness, to cause ourselves peace or chaos or whatever, that we are the ones holding the wheel, essentially, we experience life a little bit less chaotically. We can appreciate life and enjoy what we have and be grateful and be ambitious and not have to give any of that up, but we don't get caught in the in the whirlwind of it. We don't get stuck in the the chaos of it. And we don't get we don't mistake our own subjective interpretation of reality for reality itself. And when we sit in meditation, when we practice Zen, when we catch life as it flows and we appreciate the simple things, the, the simple beauties of nature and the beauties of family and the beauties of love and things like that, while also enjoying the other stuff that we enjoy, oftentimes stuff that we use to distract ourselves, we can find that balance and that sense of peace. And there's no all or nothing approach that we have to have to it. And so that's why I like to say that all you have to do to practice Zen is to integrate that meditation practice into your daily life. It's really extremely simple. And there's been countless books written in every decade, you know, for the past 800 years on this topic. But if you start to navigate this canon and you start to read everything, it's all pretty much the same. And it's funny because if you read the Western tradition, you know, you start with the ancient, you start with ancient writers and then you move on to the Greco-Roman writers, you move on to the, specifically the Greeks, the foundation of philosophy, and then you fast forward through the Middle Ages and then you eventually end up at Kant and Spinoza and then you go to Hegel and then you go to Nietzsche. You know, you can work your way through this canon and all of the thoughts are markedly different from one another. There's all these massive transgressions and massive shifts from idea to idea, from approach to approach. And if you go back and you read spiritual literature of any kind, whether it's Christian mysticism, Zen mysticism, 
uh, Jewish mysticism, Islamic mysticism, if you go and you read some of these fundamental texts that aren't the dogmatic, religious, kind of unnecessarily complex texts, the ones that contain the really essential wisdom, you'll find that most of the messages are pretty much the same. I mean, you know, if you read the Tao Te Ching by a unknown Chinese poet, Lao Tzu, no one really knew who he was, you know, he wrote that book thousands of years ago, and then you read Rumi, who is a Sufi Islamic Muslim mystic, the texts read very similarly. Or if you read Thomas Aquinas, or you read Meister Eckhart, who were Christian uh, mystical theologians, it's all very similar. And there's this massive spiritual transcendent canon of texts that, that don't deviate from one another, that don't have this sort of sequential logical progression towards abstraction like the Western tradition has. And so you realize, oh, there's a place for this in a, in a human being and that place doesn't evolve. That place remains the same. And there's always going to be a necessity for those types of ideas. And so, yeah, you can enjoy reading those texts and understanding that sort of absolutism of spiritual experience that has been pretty much the same forever or for all of human history. And then realize that, that the most important thing and the most powerful thing you can do to have that experience and to implement that reverence and that sense of, I don't like to say holiness, but it's sort of this transcendental positive consciousness. All you have to do to implement that into your life is to practice the practice, which is just sitting, reflecting, cultivating gratitude, cultivating compassion, all of these ancient practices that have been iterated in every tradition on every continent by every different culture and people for thousands of years. And that's a very empowering thing because, you know, there's no PhD you have to get. There's no massive undertaking of reading or writing or study or anything that you have to do. All you have to do is direct your attention inward, cultivate that awareness, that self-awareness and that meta-consciousness, and then use that awareness to look at life with, with more open eyes, to see the sun rising, to see the sunset, to appreciate the simple pleasures in life, to be in awe and in wonder of the weird complexities and the unknown and all of these things. And when we can cultivate that sense of curiosity and uncertainty and self-inquiry, we experience that reverence and that humility and that spiritual welfare that D.T. Suzuki talks about. And that's really as, as, simple as it is. That's all that we're really required to do by a Zen practice. There's no real tradition that is necessary to follow other than that age-old tradition of reflection and skepticism and curiosity. And so just, you know, try to cultivate that. I think it's very simple. And I think sometimes the reason I have difficulty coming up with these podcasts is that it's really the same as that as that age-old spiritual tradition of writing where it's a lot of different a lot of different days and a lot of different ideas from different people but they're all really saying the same thing which is to just direct your attention inward to cultivate those positive values of gratitude and compassion and mindfulness and i can keep repeating myself like a broken record and i probably will but it really is that simple and I think the more we practice and the more consistent we are with our practice, we remember that. Even if I skip a day or a morning of meditation, I usually meditate for a little while in the morning and a little while in the afternoon. 
And if I skip it ever, I feel a certain, I feel that that void begin to grow. I feel a little something missing. And I think it's just because we need a little bit of time each day to jog ourselves into that mindset of reflection and that mindset of self-awareness and acceptance and peaceful non-thinking. And if we can do that for even just five to 10 minutes a day, ideally maybe a little longer, but if you're just starting, five to 10 minutes a day is plenty of time to sit and close your eyes and focus on your breath or focus on a mantra or focus on a singing bowl or some really ambient uh, droning music and to let your mind sort of you know, untangle itself to, to let the, the dust settle. And it's amazing what just a little bit of that each day will do. It will, it will fill that void in a way that isn't temporary, that isn't um, so superficial. It will provide a deep, a deep sense of awareness and satisfaction that we can't get from all of the things that we chase after in the world. And from that comes the realization that sometimes we need to stop chasing so hard that our, our efforts and our suffering and our toil to achieve what we want to achieve in the world doesn't bring us that sort of satisfaction and that we can bring ourselves that sort of satisfaction without having to have anything or do anything, but just sit. And so in, in general, I think it allows us to chill out a little bit and to let, to let life flow naturally instead of trying to grab it more and more and more and make things go faster and faster. And in reference to the, the idea about modern life and the, the fact of its constant acceleration and chaos you know if we have this uh, this vision of a i don't i don't like visions of an ideal society i don't consider myself much of an idealist and i don't really think that thinking about a utopia or thinking about an ideal world is a productive activity but it's funny to think that you know if every single person meditated for five to ten minutes a day and cultivated that inner satisfaction and that inner peace and inner transcendence for just a little bit each day there would be a lot less need for all of the noise and all of the distraction and all of the mindless entertainment and the mindless consumption and the unhealthy narcotization, all of the smoking and the drinking and the unhealthy food, you know, all that stuff, all of the things that cause the most widespread rampant problems in our society from obesity to addiction, to famine, to war, um, to economic injustice, to, you know, whatever it is, everything would be toned down by every individual cultivating that sense of inner satisfaction and not needing to step on others to get the thing that they're craving so much only to find that it doesn't fill that void, that that void can only be filled by this reverence and this humility and this appreciation for life as it is instead of appreciation for life as it could be or as we want it to be. So I think that's you know, a good place to return to the podcast. I like to go back to basics whenever I take a break. So I hope that was useful to you. And please be in touch with suggestions for topics with texts that you'd like me to talk about or any questions or concerns you have. If you really like what I do and you want to support this and help me do it more often, there's a premium subscription of Daily Zen at patreon.com slash daily zen where I've been posting three to five weekly thought exercises, like daily meditations, basically, that you can do if you want to. Um, and then I'll also post a bonus podcast episode there each week. 
and occasionally I'll add an essay into the mix, but lately I've been enjoying writing the writing the essays into the thought exercises so that they're more practical and not just sort of me mindlessly pontificating on a, a random topic. So yeah, thank you for listening and I will be back next week.